0: Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back
2: You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast.
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Canadian Gothic, a weekly series in which Madeleine Klein and I discuss Canada's darkest moments. In tonight's episode, we didn't have to look very far for that darkness. Just last week, two stories played out in Canada that seemed pulled straight from the script of a horror movie. In Brantford, Ontario, 24-year-old woman was arrested on a collection of charges related to allegations that she is a birth fetishist, and had been conning doulas into caring for her during non-existent pregnancies. Then, in a separate story, we discuss a 16-year-old mass shooter in Edmonton, Alberta, who killed at least two police officers, shot his mother, and is now being suspected in another random shooting at a pizza hut. So yeah, we got our hands full in this one. So let's get into it. Ms. Madeleine Klein. it's been a while. How have you been?
3: It's been a while it's but I'm good. I'm okay. yeah, I was I'm trying to all day I was trying to figure out you're you're gonna ask me what's new and uh,
1: but,
0: you know as always don't, I got nothing. people don't like that question. Am I the only one no. I always have something to say I, I
3: unless I, I have value add or like something really exciting okay I just
0: like ugh. I just like to hear myself talk. I'll talk to like, what's new, Jordan? I had a great gl- cup of tea today. No having another now.
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I had the most delicious pear. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Madeline, on our series that we're calling, or we're using the name Canadian Gothic, We're setting out to find and discuss some of the darkest stories Canada has to offer. Last week, we went through a collection of stories of encounters with creeps that listeners had, as well as some mainstream news stories about creeps that were taking place in Canada. This week, we're going for something even darker. I'm calling this series, or or this episode, The Doula Fetishist and the 16-year-old Mass Murderer. We got two really dark stories did you uh before we get into them i guess let's start with the doula is one of the most insane things that i've seen in the news in a long time did you learn about this when i told you about it or did this come across your desk in some other natural way
3: you told me about it i i haven't been on like i've been on social media like i usually am but just not on TikTok. okay so yeah when you told me about it i kind of was like what are you talking about and when i looked into it this is this is twisted this is like more than dark this is bizarre and twisted
0: yeah it reminds me a bit like we'll, we'll get into what's going on but it reminds there's this documentary i saw on netflix about like a football player who um like a famous football player met a girl online and they had this long ongoing relationship um But then eventually he found out that she was not even a girl. It was just someone like messing with him online for a long period of time. I can't remember the name of the documentary. But anyway, it's it's this this story is nuts. I've never heard. I don't think I've heard the word doula before, or at least when I heard it, I never thought of what it is. So for people like me who, who are unfamiliar with a doula, a doula is a trained professional who provides expert guidance for the service of others and who supports another person through a significant health-related experience, such as childbirth, a miscarriage, an induced abortion, or stillbirth, as well as non-reproductive experiences, such as dying. So you work a bit in the medical field. You probably know about a doula and what they would offer.
3: I'm kind of familiar with doulas. There is a big difference between a doula and a midwife, though. Okay. Um, a doula is more of like a coach. A midwife has medical credentials, so like mm-hmm. people will get a midwife instead of an OB sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I don't know anyone that has personally done that, but I guess yeah. It like you have to go to school to be a midwife. to be a doula, I believe you have to take like courses and stuff, but they're not medically trained. They can't assist with like, if there's complications in the birth or anything, they, they assist emotionally. And yeah.
0: So, so I guess uh, let's just say someone's uh, someone's pregnant. They could hire a midwife to help them through the pregnancy, including kind of medical things, like maybe helping give the birth and doing all these different things. Right. Where, Where a doula is more like uh, like a, someone to lean on and support you and you're up at night stressing out, your doula can talk to you. Right. Where your midlife, midwife may actually be giving you like, I don't know, medicine or doing some other thing. Um, so we now know what, what a doula is. I didn't realize that a lot of a doula's a lot of doulas work online. They find their clients through even like Instagram. And as I've learned in this story, they find clients in TikTok. Um, I think they they probably weren't expecting to find someone like Brampton's Caitlin Braun is her name. Uh, Caitlin Braun is being described in the news as what's called, I've seen it use, uh, them use the, the, the phrase or the label a birthing fetishist. Now I'm gonna play the initial news report that I found that taught, that explained to me a bit of what's going on here. So buckle up for this. This is some weird stuff.
4: Amy Perry has been a doula, a professional who provides support during pregnancy, childbirth and the postpartum period for nearly six years. And she says she has never experienced anything so bizarre and heinous.
5: It's much bigger than I think people um, can even realize the waves of trauma.
4: Perry says for eight days back in November of last year, she thought her client was pregnant with a stillborn child after a sexual assault. Perry offering her services virtually for free, even coaching her as she went through labor.
5: The moans, the sounds she would make were all very realistic. Um, even through the last stage of labor through transition, she even would go as far as to vomit, um, To which is a normal thing. This was the photo of the baby that she told us Brantford nurses
4: took for her. Perry says the woman went as far as telling her she had a bleeding disorder and terminal cancer. But when the inconsistencies in her story started to mount, Perry became suspicious.
5: At one point um, we were told she was in the ICU and we could hear a small dog barking and we had made an excuse for that. Maybe there's, you know, you're so into it.
4: Yesterday, those fears confirmed by Brantford Police. 24-year-old Caitlin Braun arrested, facing 32 charges, ranging from criminal harassment to sexual assault, after seeking help from at least six doulas.
3: Those doulas are from a number of communities across Ontario, and she was seeking help from them
1: with uh, false pregnancies and stillbirths.
4: The alleged incidents happened between June 2022 and February 2023, and police believe there were more victims.
3: We are asking individuals, um, either if they have more information related to this very um, unique case, uh, or if they feel as though they've been victimized themselves, to please reach out to the grant police service.
4: As for Perry, the experience leaving her feeling traumatized, her compassion taken advantage of.
0: Oh, that's pretty wild.
3: Like... What?
0: <laughs> I what I don't get at this point. We'll learn a lot more about Caitlin Braun and what she's up to, but I I don't understand if it's a sexual thing that she gets off on, or if if it's just the attention of having someone uh, right like there for her. Like I, I could see if you're a really lonely person, having you know telling a doula you're pregnant and talking to them about all your troubles and stuff. Maybe that could be a thing. I,
3: i could see something like that or like maybe a mix of both but it kind of like it reminds me a a little bit of like munchausen by proxy like a mother that like makes their child sick so that they need them
0: yeah like uh for, for people unfamiliar with that that'd be like let's say i have a kid which i do but i'm pretending my kid is sick and we you know they have this horrible thing and Uh, you know to get attention for myself like the kid's not actually sick i'm just doing that so people will be like oh my god like it's an awful situation this does seem like a little bit of this but caitlin braun is up on charges as well of like sexual assault which would imply it's you know there's some kind of like i don't know touching or something involved in this well
3: that's what i was wondering because i i noticed that too and i was just when we were talking about between the doulas and midwife thing and you said lots of doulas um like work by phone or over internet or whatever. I, I wonder if like one of the main differences is a doula shouldn't be touching you, mm. but then the sexual assault charges, I wonder if, yeah, she, if she got one of these doulas to, I I don't know, but sexual assault charges are there. So, yeah.
0: So the, and we don't know the whole story yet, but it's going to slowly come out. What we just listened to was the first, news report that kind of broke this story and they even say in the in the article uh, that we just heard like we're expecting other doulas were victimized or were involved in this uh of course when something like this hits the news everyone starts that's been affected by it starts coming forward and speaking their side of it i'm going to next play another clip that was the second doula who came forward claiming to have been victimized by caitlin braun here that is
5: it's a really really disturbing feeling. And I I did
4: feel quite violated. Abigail Dinesh believes she is Caitlin Braun's most recent victim. Braun, a 24-year-old woman from Brantford, is facing 32 charges involving 10 doulas, ranging from fraud to criminal harassment to
5: sexual assault. Pretty much from the day that she messaged me, we were talking 24-7 on Instagram, um, mostly just providing a lot of emotional support for her at that time.
4: The Bowmanville doula says she was contacted by Braun late last month via Instagram. Braun sharing a story similar to what other doulas have described, that she was pregnant with a stillborn as a result of a sexual assault, the two bonding through their supposed mutual faith. We prayed together.
5: I sent her scripture. Like, Um, She told me how comforting it was to know that the person supporting her was also a Christian.
4: It was only last week, Dinesh says, Braun's story began to unravel when her contractions began and they went to the hospital. Obviously, I would have never guessed that someone would go to those lengths uh, to fake that. Dinesh says Braun told her the hospital turned her away because her contractions had stalled. So they went to the mall the next day. And it was there, Dinesh says, Braun received a call from
5: police. Things kind of froze for me, and I'm thinking back to all of these previous red flags that I had
4: noticed. Dinesh then stumbled on TikTok videos about Braun, and she left them all immediately, out $800 for her time.
5: She asked me to take pictures throughout her labor.
4: Shauna Hayes, a London-based doula, says Braun reached out to her back in August, her first-ever client, and she supported her pro bono for three days.
1: No close friends or anyone to support her. So she was like all alone, is what she told me.
4: Much like other doulas who have shared their experiences, Hayes says Braun's contractions seemed real until they weren't at the hospital.
1: She does a bedside ultrasound and shows no baby. And the OB says that the imaging she had done in Hamilton three weeks prior also showed no baby.
4: Hayes, along with Dinesh, say they are aware of dozens of doulas who have been traumatized by Braun. I
1: just want her to stop. It's not about punishment for me. It's just about protecting other doulas and making sure nobody else goes through what I went through. None of
4: the allegations have been proven in court.
0: So that story, I I think, kind of turned it up a little bit because that one, when that doula coming forward and telling their story, it involves like actually going to like the hospital with her for ultrasounds and stuff. Could you just do that? Show up and say, I'm pregnant. You know, check me out.
3: Well, that's, that's where I'm really confused that.
0: And why would she go that far? Cause of course they're not going to find anything.
3: Well, and I, well, that makes me wonder, is this woman so sick? She really believes she's pregnant.
6: Mm. Like
3: is, you know, nothing on, nothing from her side has come out yet. She's there's clearly something very wrong.
1: Absolutely. But I wonder
3: if she really believes that she's like always pregnant with a stillborn mm-hmm. child.
0: But um, yeah, maybe that maybe she could, but through the different doulas, what I found is, on, and I don't know if you looked at this as well, but a whole bunch of people on TikTok have been sharing videos, sharing their stories with her, and there's a bunch of them. And they all kind of have different versions of the story that Caitlin Braun had told them. Some involved her being like carrying a live baby, some a stillborn baby, some involved uh, Caitlin Braun having like terminal cancer. So there's all these different kind of versions of the story, but the end result of all of them are people feel sympathy for her and are trying to help her and support her through this experience without Caitlin paying them.
3: Right. Well, some of them were paid. Um, I I saw one TikTok and this was a woman that I believe was doing the work pro bono because Caitlin had um, come to her and said, I'm pregnant from sexual assault and it's a stillborn so she was doing this work for free. Some doulas do, some doulas don't, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this woman, this particular woman did say that, yes, some, she did have like contracts with some women. Weird. She's, she, some got paid, some didn't, but yeah, in some instances she paid for these services. Wow. Yeah. And the the really the ones where she lured the doulas to meet up with her are just like she would lure them to like airbnbs in different cities and because her stories got so embellished at one point right so Mm. she would go to different hospitals and yeah it was crazy so sometimes these doulas were alone
0: with her oh this is freaky and it's I don't want to like comment on people's uh, appearances and stuff, but the photo that's going around of her has that look of like, when I saw that photo, I was just like, Oh, like it's, it's kind of creepy.
3: You just, you get the vibes, right?
0: Yeah, certainly. But I, I could see like, if you're in that profession, if you're a doula and you're, you would, you would not expect this to happen. This is so bizarre
3: to go to the lengths that she did.
0: Mm-hmm. to actually she made
3: it seem pretty legit
0: yeah there, there was one TikTok video in particular I saw where um I think Caitlin Braun was getting the doula to take photos uh throughout the pregnancy or whatever and the TikTok video is she's sharing the different photos that Caitlin had her take of her like in her shirt up and you know all these different oh. things and it's just this is all so bizarre um I think uh, like you heard in that last clip she just needs to stop
3: there's so many layers to this that like you said are yet to come out mm-hmm. and i yeah i'm wondering where this will go because it's it's unlike anything i've ever heard of before it's it's insane
0: yeah i she's facing serious charges she's gonna have oh, a rap yeah. sheet but i i think uh like you kind of predicted, i think is I have a feeling this will end up as a maybe treated as a mental health kind of situation maybe that's because that's the only thing to me that makes sense that said i've you know the the whole idea of like someone having a kink and you know kink shaming is not okay but having a kink that involves non-consensually putting it on people and tricking people into taking part in your kink. If that is what she has going on, then something needs to be, something needs to happen in a criminal court. Um, this is a mess.
3: Yeah. I just like, I have so many questions. I, and like, I know nobody really has those answers, but like, I, has she been pregnant before? What's yeah. Like I said, I have so many questions. Well,
0: there's there must be people out there who know her well that this isn't coming as a surprise to and i haven't seen anyone like that talk yet everyone who spoke publicly as far as i could tell is is the people who've been scammed or victimized or whatever by her but you i saw know, one friend oh really okay. i saw
3: one friend and she her story was still pretty traumatizing
0: oh okay yeah
3: just yeah this like this oh you know what it was a girlfriend
0: yeah, they I had saw met that. on a
3: dating site. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one I saw.
0: Yeah. But, uh, but it also involves a lot of misleading. And that was a girlfriend, a girl she met on a dating site and they ended up dating, but she was also telling that girl that she was pregnant and seeing doulas.
3: Yes. <laughs> so and was, she, it, they went to an Airbnb together, I guess. And at one point when all of this came out, the doula thought this girl, the girlfriend was like in on it. And they somehow thankfully connected and she was like, no, no, like I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I was I was just as uncomfortable as you were. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so.
0: Uh, it's an interesting comment uh, that someone just put in the chat for our live stream is that uh, uh, given time she might have befriended a real pregnant girl. There are cases where women were killed and had their babies stolen. This sounds that screwed up. And yeah, you, you do hear these stories where like someone abducts a baby and stuff. It, that's that's just a uh, very adjacent to this whole thing. It seems to me, totally. but it, it, for whatever reason, it seems like there is a bit of a fetish kind of aspect to it. I don't know why I keep going in that direction, but it's going to come out when there when when there is developments and this actually gets into court. We'll provide updates. As far as I know, I think she's doing court like next week to talk about this. So um, the story is going to start coming out.
1: Yeah,
3: cases like this, they. They're not going to dawdle on. So, mm-mm,
0: mm-mm. and especially with this many people coming forward as victims, it's, you know, there's no denying it at this point. You're not going to have 15 doulas rallying against you, making up things. This right. Is...
3: Well, and I've heard there's doulas even in the States coming forward now. Oh my God. So, it's...
0: this goes deep. Yeah. Um, imagine her Google search history.
3: Oh my God. No thanks. <laughs> I'd rather not.
0: I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention.
1: Tales
4: of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity. Oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. So pack a lunch.
0: Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Let's move on to our second story. We have two horror stories this week. We have had the doula fetishist, but now we have another story that really broke and developed so quickly over the last few days, coming out of Edmonton, that involves a mass shooting. This is also one that came to me because I do so much coverage in my series, the Nova Scotia mass casualty, that involves policing and actions of police officers. This story originally came to me uh, in that context um, because it involves two police officers being killed. But as the tentacles of this story begin to stretch out, it's getting darker and weirder. This all takes place in Edmonton. I'm going to play you again like we did with the doula fetishist. I'm going to play you the first news story that gives some of the basics and then we'll kind of follow along as it unfolded throughout the week.
5: It is 830 here on Thursday. We have breaking news for you. Edmonton police confirmed two officers are dead after they were killed in the line of duty early this morning. Our Nicole Lampa is in West Central Edmonton in the Inglewood neighborhood. Nicole, we have learned new details in the last few minutes. What can you tell us?
6: That's right, Kent. Uh, We've obtained an internal police memo that was issued just a few moments ago. Now, according to this police memo, it says that uh, officers, patrol officers, were responding to a domestic dispute at about 12.47 this morning. And uh, when they uh, entered an apartment building, they approached a suite and they were shot by a man. Now, the two officers were rushed to hospital where they died. Uh, The memo goes on to say that the male subject is also deceased and uh, the female complainant is uh, from the suite uh, was also taken to hospital with life-threatening injuries where she remains in critical condition
0: so that's how the story first comes out and i think this is going to be an example of um, a situation where the the media is covering it before they even know what happened at all. Uh, Because it really what they have there and what they're reporting on is some kind of internal memo that tells them that a man killed two police officers at a specific address. They're outside that address filming this. They're referring to him as a man. And they describe it as being domestic in nature and the man being dead. So initially it's coming across as sounding like a murder-suicide or something. When you hear a domestic situation, the man is dead. It's it sounds like it's going to be this, this story of like, you know, a, a husband and wife in a fight, to murder, suicide, you know, along those lines. Is that how it comes across to you initially?
3: I was just going to say, well, yeah, originally when I first heard of this, I immediately thought boyfriend and girlfriend, domestic, domestic violence.
0: That is how it comes across, um, within hours, more to the story comes begins to come out. Here's this kind of the second update to the story.
6: 35-year-old Constable Travis Jordan and 30-year-old Constable Brett Ryan were shot and killed early Thursday morning while responding to a domestic call. As they approached the unit, a young man emerged and fired. Police say the two officers didn't even have time to return fire. Both constables were rushed to the Royal Alex Hospital by their fellow officers where they died. According to police, the 16-year-old suspect also shot his own mother before killing himself. His mother was taken to hospital with life-threatening injuries and was later upgraded to serious but stable condition. Now, this is the first time in Edmonton's history that two officers were killed in the same day. There are now a total of 10 Edmonton police officers who died while on the job, six of them from gun violence. The last one was in 2015.
0: So it's changing now. We have a 16-year-old who also shot his mother in this and two cops.
3: Well, and like immediately. Yeah. The cops didn't have a chance to really react at all.
0: Yeah. So. Um, How does, we'll we'll get into what, a bit more will come out to get us kind of up to speed with what's going on now. Uh, And and we're going to have a few twists along the way, but a 16-year-old able to kill two cops, uh, one of which was from Nova Scotia, actually, uh, shoot his mother. But his mother, at the time of that report, she was in hospital in critical condition, but her condition will ap- improve. Um, she's still alive now. We're recording this, I think, three or four days after this had happened. But when this story comes out, we learn it's a 16-year-old, the two cops are, are have been killed, Mother is injured. Of course, this dominates Edmonton's news stories uh, for a day or two, as this is all happening, and people begin to start considering another recent unsolved shooting that took place in that exact neighborhood, only one block from the apartment building where this happened. There was what seemed to be a random shooting just last week that was caught on camera, and now it's looking as though. The young man the 16 year old involved with this is highly suspected to be the man behind another shooting at a pizza shop just last week here's some of the basics of that
3: investigators are looking into whether the 16 year old who shot those police officers also shot
6: and wounded a man working at a nearby pizzeria a few days earlier david
3: Owasik
1: reports
7: The two officers shot and killed by a 16-year-old boy early Wednesday morning in West Edmonton were responding to a domestic call. On Sunday, the 55-year-old employee of a Pizza Hut restaurant was just a few blocks away simply standing by the front counter. Surveillance footage shows a hooded figure raising a long-barreled gun and firing, causing the victim life-threatening injuries. EPS say it's too soon to say for sure the shootings were carried out by the same person.
2: I can comment certainly geographical location, Uh, you know, the way those offenses were committed, the fact that a firearm is used in both instances, certainly uh, we're live to that, it's certainly being investigated, but unfortunately we still don't know.
7: A key piece of evidence that could link the shootings is yet to come. The type of gun used in the Pizza Hut shooting is evident in this video. Police won't say what kind of gun was used to shoot the officers.
2: It takes takes a little bit longer to be able to find the tracings of that firearm and history of that firearm so it's being investigated.
7: The two violent events separated by no more than a handful of days and a few hundred meters in an area of the city that sees a mix of young families, those on fixed incomes and the elderly.
0: In that news clip they reference this the video footage that was shared showing the young man walk into the pizza hut and shoot the person did you see any of that video did you catch any of that no okay it's,
3: i i avoid stuff like that
0: yeah well that's good it's it's the version that i saw it's it's censored so you don't see the actual shot get fired but you just see the way the, the security camera is positioned it's kind of like behind the clerk who's standing at the cash register you see the door to the business open and A young guy with like a hood up and a big long like rifle he kind of just comes in with the points the gun directly at the fella standing behind the counter and that's all we see but it seems like it's there's not a robbery or anything it seems like someone opened the door shot the person and left as far as i can tell and now looking at the area the timeline the size and age i'm sure the police know damn well at this point if it's the same gun when they're during the clip, you heard a police officer kind of answer, like, Well, it's going to take time to track the weapon. They're not going to say until they know 100%, but I'm sure looking at the video, they're like, Yeah, it's the same gun.
3: Well, and by now they've probably to... made a match.
0: Yeah. um Yeah. Good point. But I'm thinking it's probably pretty likely that this is the same fella. As far as what's going on that leads the mother to call, um, I guess, 911 to get police to show up only to have her son shoot the police like how are they showing up unprepared not knowing he has a gun what was the call from the mother about we don't know exactly yet the information we know comes from a police press conference where they um the edmonton police service gave uh, a conference just i think yesterday and they give as much of a timeline as we have at this point in They go on to answer a few questions, but I'm gonna play you uh, the piece where they deliver their timeline, and then we can talk a bit about what this sounds like.
2: We're still very much in the early stages of our investigation, but here's what I can share with you now. At approximately 1226 AM on Thursday, March 16th, Constable Travis Jordan and Constable Brett Ryan responded to a family dispute call on an apartment complex near 114 Avenue and 132 Street. When the two officers arrived, they were met by a 55-year-old female complainant outside of the building. The two officers then responded to the suite where she lived, along with her 73-year-old male partner and their 16-year-old son. Immediately upon arriving outside the suite, both constables were shot multiple times by the 16-year-old male and were immediately incapacitated. A struggle reportedly ensued between the mother and son over the firearm and the mother was shot. The suspect then turned the firearm on himself, taking his own life. The father from the residence was not physically injured during the shootings. It has since been confirmed that neither officer discharged their firearm and it is apparent that they had no opportunity to to respond to the threat that faced them. There was no prior information or knowledge about the existence of a gun and details surrounding that firearm are being investigated. Following 911 calls by multiple reporters, additional police and EMS arrived. One of the injured officers was transported in a police vehicle to hospital, while the other injured officer was taken by ambulance. The female complainant was also taken by ambulance to hospital where she remains in serious but stable condition. Soon after arriving at the hospital, both officers were declared deceased.
0: I got a lot of questions about that. If that's everything they know at this point, what it begs the question is, so something was happening in the house, some kind of family dispute that leads the mother to call you know, 911, go outside of the building to meet the police and bring them up. But at no point, it seems, are they aware of how dangerous it is or that there's a gun involved. So I wonder if the mother, does, does she not mention the gun or does she have no idea at all that there is a gun?
3: I will bet you she doesn't know
0: because- Why wouldn't that be the first thing you say, right?
3: Well, exactly. And it sounds like the cops showed up, he shot them, and then she tried to get the gun away from him. It -hmm. sounds like there was a struggle. And then, so I don't know if it was just an accident, if he shot his mom by accident or whatever, but-
0: She lives. Yeah. yeah. She lives in their 73 ish, I think 73 year old father was in the house uninjured. Uh, We'll learn a bit more about him shortly. But, um, But the son goes on to take his life. And the way, since the police, the two responding officers, were caught off guard and, for all intents and purposes, immediately killed, it's only determined or learned what happened when other people in the building start calling 911. So other cops are responding in finding their co-workers, you know, dead at the doorway of this house. Like, I, and you heard, hear in the news clip, the way the police, the injured police officer, one of them, they tried to save his life by taking him in a cop car to the police, uh, to the hospital, which would tell me that EMS, like the the ambulance or whatever, probably isn't even on the scene yet. Cops probably found a fallen friend and like threw him in the back of their car and tried to save his life, which is. That's
3: what it sounds like.
0: It is a horror show. And then imagine the police who have to go and respond and investigate and deal with all this. They're doing so over the bodies of their dead co-workers.
3: Well, that's another reason I think that maybe the mother didn't know about the gun because or the mother or the cops, because had they known they would have come with more than two police officers and they would have had their guns out
0: they wouldn't have had a chance to be ambushed because it sounds like no exactly yeah
3: that's yeah I wonder if it was like a a crime against police or just opportunity or what but yeah
0: but then you got to consider two it seems that two day two or three days earlier he walked into a pizza shop and shot somebody in the head for no reason so right it's I would love to hear the 911 call that the mother makes where she explains why she needs cops to come out. Like I, I speculate that he's like locked in his room or doing something and she doesn't know what's going on. Thus brings the police up to the front door of the apartment. Cause they, they don't even get in the door. They, they are both killed standing outside of the door to this apartment. Now there's still, there's still a bit more to know about this that I'm going to play for you is the way it, Police press conference often goes is the police will say what they gotta say and then they open it up to questions from the press. And usually that's very frustrating because they often can't answer the questions that the press want answered. So they just continue to uh the press will ask a question, they'll be like, I can't answer that. Next question, I can't answer that. But in this case, for whatever reason, There is a bit more information revealed during the press conference from the press questions. So I'm gonna play you um, some of the highlights where new details surface uh, through the questioning from the press.
3: Um, Just wondering, uh, you mentioned that they had, the teen had multiple interactions with police that were non-criminal. Are you able to confirm whether or not uh, there was mental health calls previously made to this home and and how um, recently they were? I can't
7: speak to the timing of uh, responses uh, to that address or involving that youth. Um, Again, they they were non-criminal in nature. Uh, One of the incidents was categorized as a mental health complaint, but I don't have any further details as to what that was made up of
1: so police had previously attended to this address yes okay and then just um
3: as my follow-up do we um, have any information yet as to um, i know you mentioned that police were not aware that there was a gun in the home uh do we have any information as to who that gun belonged to if it was registered to either of the parents it
2: take it just it takes it takes a little bit longer to be able to find the tracings of that firearm and history of that firearm so it's being investigated right now.
3: Hi there, Julia Wong, CBC National. Any sense what precipitated the family dispute? I do not. And is there a sense the motivation for these officers being shot, was this meant to be an ambush? Was there any particular ideology behind, um, behind this team? It's not,
2: not being investigated as any type of ideologically motivated offense at this time, so there's nothing to indicate that. Um, but certainly uh, it is consistent with what is an ambush. Riddick Dubey with the Canadian Press. Um, so what was the reason the mother called the police? Uh, we don't know exactly, other than that she obviously wanted police assistance for some difficulties she was having with her son. Did she know that the boy had a gun? No information was communicated to our members and we didn't have any previous information about a gun in that residence. And is she cooperating with the investigation? She is unresponsive at this point. And as soon as uh, that changes that's definitely somebody we want to talk to
3: thank you Uh, sorry what about the father
2: the father is cooperating with the investigation okay thank you the original
7: call came from the mother complaining she was having difficulty with her son that prompted the dispatched call to be uh, put in and uh, our members responded to that as was previously mentioned there was nothing to indicate on the initial information that there was uh, any violence or any uh, weapons present. And that's how we triaged it and dispatched it.
3: And can you tell us, do you know if the son was barricading himself inside uh, the, the apartment? Because I understand that the father was present inside.
2: It, uh the very brief information i appreciate is still pretty fluid was that the father was in a separate room did not see even the original dispute didn't see the event with the with the officers and so nothing to indicate any type of barricading or armed and barricaded person
0: so
3: we understand it's something that you know happened very quickly yes okay thank you
0: i guess that still doesn't answer many questions it remains a bit of a mystery but according to the way they answered those questions they had no idea about the gun they seem to be i don't know why they would do this but they seem to be quite unclear about the nature of the actual call like they don't seem to know what the dispute was and i don't get why they're keeping their cards so close i feel like
3: they do they must right that would have been the first like information relayed
0: yeah exactly and it's like, like and it's not in this press conference we're listening to this is a couple days later two police officers are dead you're telling me you didn't listen to the nine one one call to see why they were there and and i don't like why couldn't they even have answered that let's say if the mother didn't make it clear what the call was about she was just hysterical it gave her address why not just say that
3: exactly it was yeah provide a little bit more
0: yeah or or just not take that question if you're going to because it's like come on you must know something um but this like a 16 year old doing this maybe i'm naive or something but 16 is quite young to commit this kind of offense although in when you look at mass murder in the world it's not uncommon for it to be a teenager but this just seems like I guess if he is responsible for the shooting at the Pizza Hut days earlier, he's like an almost serial killer, although the Pizza Hut victim did survive.
3: Still, that's not only alarming because of how young he is, but and I I hate to be that person, but like in, in Canada, especially. Mm -hmm. guns aren't super easy to come across here like i guess they are i'm i'm constantly surprised with how many illegal firearms there are floating around
0: but it's not Uh, usually a 16 year old with an illegal firearm
3: uh here it is oh really tons of youth offenders Okay, you, I got yeah.
0: the, I got the rose colored glasses. I think they yeah. I, when, when I look at the video of him walking in the pizza hut, to me, it looks like a hunting rifle, but when you hear of the police officers being killed, it said both of them were shot multiple times, which tells me it's not a hunting rifle. This must be some kind of an automatic rifle because yeah. with, with a hunting rifle, it's like you would shoot once and then you got to like, you know, do stuff while you're doing that. The other cop shoots you and takes you out in this case, he was able to shoot both police officers multiple times. So it's uh, I'm thinking when we learn more about this gun, there's going to be some question about its legality and where it came from, and all this stuff, I'm sure. Because um, it doesn't say my
3: life, it was illegally obtained. I'll, I'd bet anything.
0: It, it seems like it's going that way. Um, it, surprisingly, other than what we went through, despite almost the passage of a week, we still don't know any more than this. But Certainly when when you're talking about two dead police officers, a lot of work is happening so I think we're gonna to get to the bottom of this pretty quickly. There's still not been any information surface surfacing about the identity of the 16 year old shooter the the preliminary court proceedings are behind a publication ban I think due to his age. so I you won't see his name or information about him in the press, although likely it's going to um, Likely it's going to surface some way online. Someone knows this guy or goes to school with him and it's going to come out.
3: Oh, I was going to say it'll come up on Facebook or something. Yeah.
0: You just won't see it on CBC, but right. It, yeah, but it's a uh, horrible, uh, two young fathers killed in the line of duty, both of them in their thirties. Um, 30
3: and 35. Yeah. and in, I believe one's wife is expecting right now.
0: Oh my God. And yeah. both, um, despite their age both have been in the force for quite some time so these are experienced oh, wow. officers um despite their you know young age but it's just it's it's heartbreaking and in this case it seems like they were caught completely off guard probably totally. feeling a call unlike many other calls where it's you know an out-of-control kid or a couple fighting but they say of course i'm not a cop but i often hear it said that the most dangerous calls are often domestic in nature um, that's
3: what i've Hurt as well. Yeah, but, but that you know what, that doesn't surprise me. People are violent.
0: And people are nuts. And when it comes yes. to like stuff happening in your home with your family or your relationship, that's when like, people are going off and flipping out. And whatever happened with this kid, he ch- he chose to do this and take his life in, in the midst of it all. It's you know, there's a story there to be told, but definitely. Um. Well, like the doula story if as developments come we'll provide updates um in future episodes and the way we're going to structure our canadian gothic episodes is we'll cover our stories but then we'll end with updates and listener mail because we get a lot of listener mail covering these dark stories and we're often covering stories that are unfolding as we're talking about them so updates are going to be a regular thing which brings me to my next point We got one update one of the series one of the episodes or series of episodes i guess that we've done that has created a lot of discussion and got a lot of interest was the series uh, covering crimes mainly on provoked crimes that occurred on the toronto Transit Commission, the TTC. We just have a, a brief update I want to share. When we talked about the TTC most recently, uh, after a wave of murder and attempted murder and pushing and violence, um, the Toronto police were beginning to offer overtime to have their officers patrolling the TTC to support the TTC security and to make people feel safe on there. That was just a couple of weeks back, but the update is that that's coming to an end. I'm going to uh, I'll share this with a short clip as well. We start tonight with an update on the safety of passengers riding the
5: rocket.
6: After a spate of violence that shook the confidence of commuters, city officials added a host of extra security, and now after a few short weeks they are scaling back. CTV's Allison Hurst joins us from Davisville Station. Tonight, Allison, what's the reason? Michelle, a TTC spokesperson, says they've seen the numbers of violent incidents drop in the month of January, and they're hopeful when they see the February numbers that it will have dropped again. Now, that was the first month of the uh, poli- added police officers on the TTC that we saw that happen. Now, this modification actually begins today, and it is going to be returning back to an intelligence-based model. And what that means, it'll be officers who are on duty being deployed based on time of day usage and any incidents that need to be investigated
0: so that didn't take them very long to put a stop to offering overtime to police officers
3: that did not take long at all
0: yeah no one's been pushed in the last two weeks call them out get i them was off. gonna
3: say nice like 14 days later they're like well this seems to have worked yeah well, let's just, kibosh that overtime
0: <laughs> for people who followed the ttc series and those events it it you can see it happen where something bad happens so they issue a press release they talk they do something to make people feel better five days later it goes away and something new happens and the situation you know and there's this discussion about you know putting up gates so more people can't be pushed this is just the latest thing it's that a they vicious cycle me.
3: something happens thoughts and prayers outrage crickets something happens thoughts and prayers outrage crickets it's just like
0: <laughs> oh it's it's just depressing. Ugh. This world, yeah. eh? Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's it for the TTC for now. No further extra policing. But I, I don't know. Hopefully, we never have to do a part three. <laughs> I was going
3: to uh, say we jinxed it last time. So. Y- yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: we have some listener mail as well that that will provide comments and opinions on prior episodes. Um, this one we're going to go a little ways back for. Uh, you remember we did this the episode on the disappearance of the Jack family, which was I guess the um, the Cole's notes of that is a full family uh, was offered a job working in a remote logging area. They were offered this opportunity by a man at a bar. They took them up on it, left uh, with some of their with their kids and their belonging and some of their belongings. And in were, the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, and we're never seen again. Uh, I have an up or I have a, an opinion or a theory by a listener about uh, what may have happened. Listen to this. and Tell me if you think they may be onto to something.
1: Does anyone think that with the Jack family, the mom was involved? Like maybe she met this guy somewhere and they decided to pull this little stunt and run off together and take the boys. And kill the husband or kill the husband and the boys and run off and do their
3: thing. I don't know. It just seems weird that a whole family would completely disappear with nothing and no one. I think the mom's involved.
0: So, my thoughts are not,
3: it's not out there.
0: But it could just be as, it could just as well be the dad. Like you hear these stories where a dad gets rid of his family because he wants to be with someone else. Like, just to follow that thread, of, if that's your theory. The dad could have fallen in love with a man and wanted to go off with this man and live a new life, but he couldn't didn't want to break it to his kids and his family his wife, and that's what he chose to do. It could I, I think with the Jack family, you have no idea what happened. It could have been the mom, could have been the dad, who knows? It could have been completely random. It could have been a drug debt, which is there's all these theories circulating. That call though, I think that was the first time I saw someone suggest it could be the mom for a reason. I was like gonna that. say
3: I hadn't ever thought of that i i had never pictured that but it happens
0: yeah it's as much
3: it's yeah as much as we don't want mothers to do that it it does Mm -hmm. it happens certainly
0: and i think with the disappearance of the jack family there's so little there's so many unknowns that almost any crazy theory you bring up you can't disprove it because it's we don't know enough it's just like yeah, it's awful.
3: Anything could have happened.
0: Yeah. Now, um, the most recent episode we did together discussed a series of listener encounters with. They were all creepy guys, as it turned out. Uh, we have some feedback about it. The first one. This is just general advice by someone named Jenny on dealing with creeps, but I think she has some some. Good ideas and good good thoughts. Let's what Jenny has to say.
1: Hey, Jordan. This is Jenny. I am calling you from London, England. I've just finished listening to your second Encounters with Creeps episode. I knew I had to call when I heard the woman's voicemail about how she was happy she did not intervene on public transport. Uh, as I mentioned, I live in London. I've lived here for a decade, so I've been taking public transportation across London for many, many years now and there have been so many times when i have seen older men intentionally approach and corner and try and forcefully talk to and harass very young girls teenage girls on the bus and on the train i personally choose to always intervene and there are a few reasons for that probably the most important one being i am 5 foot 10 so i'm quite tall and I honestly feel like creeps and bullies and men who intentionally target women will sometimes go for women who are physically smaller than they are. And the second reason is that there have been probably six or seven times where I've approached uh, a man who is harassing a teenager or a young girl. And what I do is I pretend that I know the girl and I say, Oh, I haven't seen you in so long. Oh my gosh, how are you? We have so much to catch up on. And if the man gets visibly hostile or angry, which has happened, I will alert the driver of the bus if we're on the bus. Every single time I've done this, the driver has immediately stopped the bus in the middle of the road, wherever we are, gotten out of his little driver cubicle from behind the the plexiglass and physically forced this person off of the bus to the cheers of everyone else. I have a couple of these incidences on film. And I feel very fortunate after hearing these stories that I've had encounters with drivers who are supportive and will not tolerate that, will not tolerate the passengers being harassed. Um, Another reason that I intervene is I actually took a course called Bystander Intervention. And they taught you different tips and tricks to intervene when you see young girls or women being harassed by men on public transportation. Unfortunately, this happens every day. I learned some cool tips and tricks, such as pretending you know them, um, and because I'm a physically bigger person, I take my chances and I intervene. It's, you know, now that I'm saying all of this out loud, it's upsetting that this has to happen so often. And it's upsetting that bystander intervention is even a thing that needs to exist, but it is. Um, so I can't say that I would recommend to your listeners to always intervene. This is just what I've always done. And I hope you would continue doing this series so we can bring awareness to this because I'm not sure that uh, men are really aware of how prevalent this issue is for women. When we leave our houses every day, thank you for your podcast and I'll can't wait for the next episode. Bye.
0: Mm. Uh, It is kind of odd that she says so in her message there, it it seems like she had to do this a bunch of times. She's like, even have some of this on film.
3: Like six or seven times she's notified or intervened.
0: Uh, Yeah. On a bus. Like she can even say like what the bus driver usually does. It's like, Man. Wow. People in England get it together. So give Jenny a break.
3: <laughs> right? Man. I know I like I always like to think that put in that situation I would intervene. But uh I don't I'm not around the general public enough. Uh, I like you know I I very rarely come across anything
0: like Okay. I've like s- that. I've seen it a, a million times but never I don't I can't think of a time that I've seen it really like someone being very forward, but I find what I see a lot is, I don't know, a girl will walk by and I'll just kind of notice other guys either like really awkwardly, like making eye contact or like checking her out or maybe saying catcalling, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's nothing I ever considered like intervening, but I definitely will like notice it and pay attention to be like, you know, if this goes far, like someone has to do something, but I've never, seen a situation where it went really far i did once have to intervene in an act of domestic violence though this was when i was maybe 18 or 19 there was a a couple like kind of arguing on the street and i saw the guy like grab the girl and like kind of push her up against a fence, very like violently and he was a lot bigger than me but i start but um i could she was like crying and he was just flipping out at her i don't know what they were arguing about of course But uh, I was on the other side of the street, I think, and I had my skateboard with me. And I think I started to yell at him and call him names, thinking like, I want this guy to chase me because he's never gonna catch me, was my thought. And it'll give her a chance to like, get the hell out of there. And, um, And I think that's what I did. I yelled, cursing at him, calling him bad names. And he started telling me to get out of there and as this was happening, I think someone came out of a house, like another like an adult at the again at the time I was just a kid. And I think I did eventually leave and the other adult I think was going to call the cops. My memory's hazy. Um but anyway.
3: Well, that's I like that. That's long, good long for story you. long story
0: short, I'm a hero.
3: That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh I've ne- ne-
3: I've never had to intervene like something like that. The only time I've intervened was in like retail when someone's not being nice to a worker and I've said like they can't tell you but I can you're being an asshole mm-hmm. like stuff like that yeah. But, yeah but yeah never thank god never something like that
0: mm. um, when we did our episode about the encounters with creeps one of the stories that got us uh, an extra strong reaction from you was the one that involved the paramedic calling the woman after he was involved in treating her and coming on to her. Uh, we got a response from someone who seems to also have some background in, you know, the medical field who wanted to share their thoughts on it.
3: Hi, Jordan. I was just listening to the horrifying account of the healthcare professional who was contacting a patient after their clinical admission, trying to hit on her. That is such a massive HIPAA violation. Um, I've been in healthcare for 20 plus years and I will tell you that we've had patients of ours die and, you know, we cannot even personally reach out to them to send a card or anything because once that patient has died, we have no reason to be accessing their chart anymore. That was just horrifying and that person should not be allowed. To work not only in healthcare, but with access to anyone's personal, private, secure information.
0: I agree. I
3: I figured somebody somebody else would be equally as horrified it's like, what? because yeah that that violation is just like so beyond.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like it, I guess the equivalent of like you're not allowed. I don't know stealing from this retail place. This is like you know, literally like making a buffet of the chocolate bars at the counter and having your friends in, you know, this, that kind of a breach. But I I could tell it because it's, this story is one, and that story was one that kind of connects with you because you worked in the, or work in the medical field as well. But I could tell when I played that, when we were doing the Encounters with Creeps episode, and I played that story, just your face, you're like, what, what? And I can hear in her voice, she had the exact same reaction, just like, what?
3: (laughs) well yeah because when when you realize how serious it is you're like what an idiot who does that yeah like tell me tell me you want to be unemployed without telling me you want to be
0: unemployed (laughs) yeah uh and since doing the encounters with creep. Creeps episode just about a week ago I've already got two new listener voice memos sharing creep stories so it's highly likely that a part 3 of that series is on the horizon so for people listening if you have a story involving an encounter with a creep uh go to nighttimepodcast.com and share it with us in a voice memo and we'll include it in part 3 I'd especially like to hear one that involves a creepy female based on this episode we're recording tonight they're out there i guess they're preying on doulas
3: i guess yeah <laughs> oh i know God. i was trying to think if if i've ever had an, an encounter with an a creepy woman but nothing comes to mind but hmm. i'll uh i'll keep thinking <laughs> yeah
0: put it out there amongst your friends i'm sure one of them have well <laughs> all right well Madeline, it's um it's been dark uh we talked about some horrible stories but uh at least we were here together so thanks for joining me again tonight
3: It's been twisted, but compelling.
0: I want to thank you for joining Madeleine Klein and I for this episode of Nighttime. I'm going to start wrapping up the episode, but before we part, I have some thanks. First, a huge and sincere thanks to everyone who took the time to share their questions and comments with us. A big thanks to Monty Data, who contributes the music for this series. And a shout-out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides my intro and outro voiceovers. But lastly, most importantly, I have a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, Nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Nicole, Brandon, and Jennifer, thank you for, your, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can do it in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month and both funds the creation of the show, as well as gives you access to an ad-free, two-day early release, and a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. And if you can't go premium, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone listening has any story ideas, wants to give feedback on the episodes, or submit a question or comment to be aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, You can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. We hope to hear from you, but until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let us know if you see anything weird.
3: The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.